There was a situation in the Old Testament that is similar to this. We're in our second week of me, myself, and I am. We're talking about the intersection of where God and our lives collide. Your whole Bible was written to you to show you the power of what happens when God's word, God's ideas, God's truth intersects with people's lives. In the Old Testament, there's a powerful story, a time of rebuilding, a time of challenge and difficulty, a time of excitement and urgency. It's not unlike the kinds of stuff that you've gone through. I mean, have you ever, have you ever noticed that when you set your foot in the right direction, we call it take a next bold step, when you take a step in the right direction, that sometimes it seems like there's an unleashing of challenge and difficulty in your life? Make a commitment, for instance, to your spouse. Hey, this weekend, we're going to spend some time alone. And if you have like, kids like I do, you know what happens by the time the weekend rolls around? All hell breaks loose. Jill and I have decided we're never planning any romantic interludes. Because the moment we plan them, something happens. Something happens. It happens in church life all the time. You make a commitment to honor God. You decide, I'm going to let God's spirit work on me. Here's an area of my life where I've committed to him. I'm going to let him work. And so you take that step, you make that commitment, and then it seems like what was a difficult thing often gets worse. It gets more challenging. What, what is that dynamic? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are, there are two plans for your life. There's God's plan, which leads to life and joy and peace and purpose. And then there's the other guy. And the Bible tells us that his plans are destructive. They lead to death. They kill. They steal. They destroy. There are two plans. There are two agendas for your life. And it seems like when you decide to step into the right agenda, move down the correct road, the Bible calls it the narrow path, you walk with God, it's the road less taken. When you decide to do that, it seems like the other guy, well, he gets a little ticked. And he ramps up. Now the good news is, is, the Bible tells us very clearly, that the one who is at work in us, who are followers of Jesus, who are sons and daughters of God, who are walking by the light, the Bible tells us that the one who is in us is greater than the one in the world. So we don't have to worry about that. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the feeling of the challenge. I want to talk with you about that today. Have you ever, for instance, decided that there was a habit you're going to break? A habit you must break. Have you ever made that commitment to yourself? And when you make that commitment and you start down the road, man, you, you want to do the thing you're trying to avoid maybe than you ever did. How about if you ever made up your mind that there's a goal you're going to accomplish? We're going to work on this thing as our family. I'm going to work on this thing in my life. I'm going I'm to read the Bible through in a year. I'm going to pray like the pastor talked about. We're going to make a commitment to go to church you know, consistently throughout the year. You have a goal and you start into that thing and you feel the pushback. Maybe there's a project you feel like you got to complete. I mean, it could be that you're sitting here right now, and, and today there's a habit that you've committed to deal with, a goal or a project, and you've tried, and you haven't made a lot of motion because you're in the thick of that battle between the commitment and the living it out. How, how about this one? Is there a relationship that maybe today you feel like you need to restore? One that has been on your mind for a while. You've made a commitment. You've tried to do the thing. And it just hasn't gelled yet. Or how about a relationship you need to end? And here's one that we get in our church regularly because it's just a part of America right now. Is there a debt that you feel like you need to retire? 
We talk about that around here pretty honestly and openly. About two, three times a year, we talk about not money we want from you, but what we believe God's agenda is in our finances. And we encourage people to think about retiring debt so that the, the debtor isn't slave to the lender. And people, like, they ramp up, yeah, we're going to deal with our debt. And they make that commitment, they feel God moving them, they feel energized in their spirit, and they leave church, and they go eat at a restaurant, and they put it right on their credit card. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah, sometimes, listen, when you step out into these noble things, dealing with a habit or a goal or a project or a relationship or, or debt, when you take that step, sometimes that's when you really feel the fierceness of the pushback. Some of you, honestly, there are empty seats near you because somebody used to sit there. And they made a commitment that they were going to follow Jesus and open up their life to God. And God was going to be the priority in their life. And they began. And then they, they fizzled. They're not around here. What, what does the Bible have to say about those kinds of things? Well, there's a powerful story in your Bible about a guy by the name of Nehemiah who knew what it was to have dreams and hopes, to feel the burden of something good in his life and to step out into that thing. And when he steps out into it, the challenges come. The difficulties arise. The very noble thing he sets his mind to is difficult. I mean, if these things were easy, everybody would do them. The reason why when we sit in church and we sing songs and our hearts are open and our mind is focused on God and we get these impressions, I need to deal with that. The reason we get them is, is because God's Spirit is at work in our lives. And we respond to that. And we move forward in that. And that puts us on the right track. But the other guy doesn't like it. And so there's a pushback. Sometimes there's a war even within our own selves because we really want to do the thing, but we want to do the other thing too. And so it becomes a battle of priorities. This is where the message of Jesus is so powerful. We're calling this series, Me, Myself, and I Am, because we're dealing with the deepest parts of us and the ultimate truths of who he is. Listen to just a few phrases before we jump into our story about who Jesus is. Jesus was talking to the crowds one day, and he said, listen, I'm the door. I am the door. The idea is that you're in one room, you want to get to the other. And if you want to get to the other room, guess who you got to pass through? Me. He says, I am the light of the world. The idea here is, is that you're in the dark and you're trying to find your way where you want to go. Who illuminates your path? I am does. I am does. Jesus says, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. The two staples of the diet in the Bible. The idea is that you're hungry. You'd like to go on, but you're out of energy. You don't have any, any gumption, any, anything compulsion left. Who nourishes your soul? I am does. That's why it's so important to have our lives be intersected by his life and have his power at work in us. And God gave us the gift of our Bibles to show us what happens when God's will, his truth, his agenda, his spirit, his power infuses our life. So a little background on Nehemiah before we read. The year is 40, 444 B.C. 444 B.C., and Artaxerxes 
is the king of Persia. I guess it's better to call him an emperor, I suppose, because he was the ruling power in the known world at that time. And the little nation state of Israel, well, they had experienced some difficulties about a hundred years earlier. About 550 B.C., Babylon, maybe you've heard of them, Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. And when they destroyed a city, they went in, and the first thing they would do is they would tear down the walls. Walls were important. I, if you've been here, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. The walls were important because if you didn't have walls around your city at night, that you could lock the gates and post a few watchmen. But what happened at night is marauding bands, warlords, would, would come into your city at night, and they would haul off your stashes of food. They'd take your livestock, maybe your women. So every major city, they built a wall around the city. And during the night, people would move into the city and be protected. And then during the day, they'd go work the fields around the city. When you didn't have walls, it was an idea of shame. It was the idea that your national identity was lost, that there was some oppressive force. It, it was normal to have battles around city walls, and sometimes they would be damaged, but you would quickly rebuild. But for a hundred years, nobody alive in Nehemiah's time, no one, had ever known Jerusalem to be a, be a place where the walls were intact, where national identity was something to be proud of, where there was a sense of security and safety. No father laid his head at night in confidence that his wife and his kids were taken care of. They had carried, Babylon had people off into captivity. You may have heard the story of Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel in the lion's den, the, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. That's the time period we're talking about. They had been carried away by Babylon. This is 100 years later, and the effects of that battle are still being felt by generations now. There is, in effect, generational sin at work in the lives of the people that Nehemiah cares about. Generational sin is that sin that seems to persist. It's the kinds of things your grandfather struggled with, and maybe your father did, and you said to yourself, I'd never be like that, and you find yourself dealing with some of the exact same things. Nobody had ever seen what it was to walk in freedom or in life. I'm certain they made commitments. I'm certain they had hopes. But they weren't able to materialize the thing. So Nehemiah, who finds himself as the cup bearer to the king of Persia, he's the personal butler. He, because of his character and because of the favor of God and because of his hard work ethic, by the way, a couple things that are standard when you're dealing with wanting to move forward and you can't, character matters. Who you are on the inside matters to God. That's why the Bible talks so much about God dealing with our hearts. And sometimes we can't move forward because there's a big gap between where our hearts are and where our behavior is. I'm not talking about the person struggling. I'm talking about the person who seems to not care. So God wants to deal with that. The other biggie that's always a part of moving forward is just a willingness to work hard. A willingness to stay at it, to be disciplined, to give yourself over time to something. Nehemiah had this, and one day he says to the king, the king says, why are you so sad? And Nehemiah says, how can I be happy when the people back in my homeland, across the desert, all the way over the fertile ground, all the way over there, how can I be happy when they're in ruins? And I'm here, I'm living like the good life. And then he makes a bold, bold statement to the king. He says, would, would you let me go back and help rebuild the walls? This was unheard of. Servants don't do this sort of thing. But Nehemiah had a burning compulsion. He had to do something. Will you let me go back and rebuild the walls? 
And the king says, I'll do better than that. It's the favor of God after years of hard work and character on display. The king says, I'll do better than that. I'll make you the governor of that area. I'll make you the governor. And I'll let you gather money and people. And I'll let you go back. And you can't stay forever because I like you. But you can go back and do the thing. And you can be in charge there. And Nehemiah is excited. So he gathers up all kinds of resources. I mean, he loads down the camels with gold and wood and supplies and food. And I can imagine on the day he completes his journey from the east, going over the Fertile Crescent to the west, all the way over to that little city of of Jerusalem. I can imagine the day that he showed up was a red-letter day. I mean, there would have been dancing and clapping and joy and excitement because the king in power had given authority to rebuild. And Nehemiah shows up and he's ready to roll and everybody's like, let's do this thing. Let's take the hill. And he says, look, it's a big job to rebuild this city. So what we'll do is we'll start with the walls. And people are like, yeah, we'll start with the walls. We get the walls done. We get the first things done first. Priorities matter. We get the first things done first. And then we'll be able to focus on things like our own houses. We'll be able to bring a sense of comfort and peace and calm. We'll be able to focus on our kids' development and not just their survival. It was a good day. And they start building. And at this point, if you read this beautiful story in your Old Testament, it's a powerful story. If you read this, you're like, what an awesome story. Oppression and hope, hard work, faithfulness, provision and favor from God. But then you come to about chapter 3 and 4. Things are going well. A whole lot like our own experiences when we decide to step forward. We feel good. They hit the wall. <laughs> Literally, not the wall they're rebuilding, but metaphorically. Uh, they hit the wall. They get opposition in the form of a guy by the name of Sanballat and some of his buddies. Sanballat and some of his buddies, they're the ones really in power. They're the ones, while things are oppressive, they're the ones operating in the shadows. They're holding authority power. They're running the, the, the pirating network. They're the mob, so to speak, of the area. And they, they don't like Nehemiah. They were doing just fine. Everybody else wasn't, but they were. And they were content to do fine while everybody else did poorly. And Nehemiah's come in and he's about to shatter that. The thing that God wants to do is for everyone, not just a few. So Nehemiah comes in and he, he breaks up their thing. So Sanballat gathers with some of his buddies. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, just to give you an idea of the kind of things they said about Nehemiah and his ideas. When San, Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah's talking, we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. In the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? We'll restore their wall. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Are they going to get back into normal life? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble as burned as they are? And one of the guys hanging around, you know how it is when people are around and they're criticizing, it kind of grows and one tries to outdo the other. Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, what are they building? Even if they build a small little fox climbing on it would break down their walls of stones. I don't even know what they're doing. They're all sitting around having a good old time and they're lambasting Nehemiah and his efforts. Have you ever stepped out and done something 
maybe break, trying to break a cycle in your family? Have, have you ever set a course of dreams and you dared to speak it to somebody? And when you did, rather than going, wow, good for you. We're, we're proud of you. How can we help? We're here praying for you. We're supporting you. It's like they're, they're finding fault. What, what does God have to say about that sort of stuff? What does God want you to do in the middle of that sort of thing? You know, what Nehemiah did when he heard this stuff is he kept working. He kept his, his hand to the plow, his nose to the grindstone. And he powered through the emotional assault that always comes. Listen to me. You set your mind in the direction to obey God fully in whatever one area of life that you feel like he wants to be in full control. There will be an emotional as well as a spiritual backlash. Not everybody is going to like it. There are some people who think that you're uppity. There'll be some people that will think that you're, you think you're better than them. There will be some, just because of the way they're wired, that no matter what you decide to do, they're going to find fault with it. And this is where I am wants to come shining through. This is where Jesus wants to come shining through. Not to simply lift you over the challenge, although that's what we all pray for. God, if you could just deliver me. God, if you could just take them out. Just, just Lord, just take them out. Just get rid of them. That's how some of the Old Testament people prayed. David would have a challenge and he would say, Lord, kill my enemies. I read that and I'm like, oh God, do I dare pray a prayer like that? And I look around the room and nobody's dead yet. And so thank you, God. That's a total joke, friends. I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm like, I'm surprised with the emotional turmoil these folks go through in the Bible. It's honest. That's why, one of the reasons why I believe you can depend on it because in folk tales and myths, you make your hero perfect. None of the folks in the Bible other than Jesus are perfect. They all struggle with the very things we struggle with. But not Nehemiah, man. He, he just plows through. He says, the thing we're doing is important. It's not just going to benefit me. I was doing fine, he says. I didn't even need it. I was in the king's house, eating the king's food. I was fine, but God wasn't done. My purpose in life wasn't simply to serve somebody else's agenda, and it wasn't to serve my own. It was to help someone else. It was to help other people. He encapsulates the spirit of ministry The churches try to rally around, to people who have a genuine move of God in their life are pulled towards. It's not just for me. One of my favorite pastors says it this way, that found people find people. Found people go and find people. That's why you don't just build a church and make it good for the five, six, or seven hundred that come. You're always dreaming, and you're always pressing. It's why you don't just say, me and my family are fine, we have all of our needs met and most of our wants, and we're good. You, you implore God, God, what else do you have for me? But he just kept building the wall. Now you can imagine, this made Sanballat and his friends very unhappy. So they devised a plan. We'll distract him and bring him out to the desert to meet with us. We'll ask him to have lunch. And we'll just say we want to pick his brain. But in effect, when he gets out here away from everybody, from the guards he's put around, we'll kill him. We'll kill him, we'll be fine. And this is really where I want you to lean in. So in Nehemiah chapter 6, the challenge is just unfolding. Nehemiah is still rebuilding the wall. It's a difficult thing. It's a challenge. He's operating integrity. 
Listen, if you're a, a businessman or, or, or just a father, a leader of a house, a wife in this room, and you want to see a picture of integrity and what it means to lead with integrity when you have power, you need to read the first five chapters of Nehemiah. When this guy has all the authority in the world, but he doesn't just rely on his positional authority. He, he garnishes up a moral authority with people so that when he speaks, people listen. So I'm going to tell you, I want, I want you to read this passage. But in Nehemiah chapter 6, here's what it says. Sanballat and Geshem sent this message to Nehemiah. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages and go to the plain of Ono. Listen, if they ask you to go meet at a place called Ono, don't go. Don't go. They, they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers with this reply. Now, now listen, I want this verse to sink in to your soul. If you can get this, friends, you'll always be open to the intersection of I am into your life. Nehemiah sends this word. He says, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? They're just asking for a meeting. The pretense is they're just asking for a get-together. They just want to swap ideas, share ideas, look at shared resources. I, I don't know what the premise was, but the idea was friendliness and engagement. But this is where... One of the secrets of having a constant movement of I am in your life becomes clear. When you set that priority that this is what God's called me to do, and I'm not turning to the right or the left. This one thing will get my attention. This habit, this goal, this debt, this relationship, this integrity issue, this vow, this promise is going to get my attention. Nehemiah shows us the secret that this resolute spirit, that this one thing is too important to let anything distract you. Anything. How can I come down? The work I'm doing is too great to come down and have a little lunch in the desert at the oasis. It's too important. That thing that God put on your heart. And as I prayed this week, I prayed that God's spirit would illuminate one thing in your mind right now. That one thing is too important for you to get distracted from. To let either challenge or opportunity turn your focus. Some of you men have felt stirred by God's spirit. And it was God's spirit over the last three months to step up and become men of God. And you made motion, and you moved forward, and you made some plans. Good for you. I'm telling you, I've been in this business long enough to know that when you did that, and every step you took forward, there was a spiritual backlash. There was a, a divisive, destructive, destroying plan set in motion to trip you up. Hear me. The work you're doing is too important to come down to that thing. It's too important to give up. It's too important to give in. Ladies, those of you that are moms, for just a moment, the work you're doing in developing, not just raising, developing those children to have soft hearts for God, to understand relationships, to pick up some of the basic skills of life, 
The work you're doing in showing your child how to respond in authority situations. The work that you're doing to help them understand what it is to be not just disciplined, but developed. Not just getting in trouble, but growing. That's too important to be distracted by what the world would throw at you. To just live a selfish, self-absorbed life. I may sound old-fashioned, but I believe raising children is one of the most godly, purpose-filled, beautiful, life-giving activities you could ever be a part of. That's the picture that the Bible gives. Of course, that's not your whole life. But I'm not talking about your whole life. I'm talking about priorities. What needs to be near the top or at the top of the list for you? Have you made a commitment around that thing already? And have you felt the backlash? And when you felt the pushback when you committed, what did you do? This passage right here. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. This will change your life. God gave us the story of Nehemiah to show us what an intensely focused, clear priority that is the echo of God's call on your life, what that will do for you, how it will open the door for the, for the light of the world. The one who said, I am the living water. The one who said, I am the door. The doors I open, no man can shut, he said. I'm doing too great a work. I can't come down and deal with that mess right now. It's not going to distract me. It's not going to pull me off focus. I'm staying right here. Nehemiah shows us in Nehemiah chapter 4 some of the ways he dealt with these distractions. By the way, the distractions in Nehemiah's day, they had names. Sanballat, Gershon, some of the other folks. The apostle in the New Testament tells us that our struggle is really not against people, even though that's typically the form it takes. But we don't struggle, the Bible says, against flesh and blood. We struggle against powers and principalities that work in the air, in unseen realms. So that person that's pushing against, that thing that's an obstacle, that group that doesn't, if you're pursuing the thing God's called you to do, it's not them. It's a power at work in them that runs counter to God's work. And keeping that focus can help. Keeping the focus that when you're stepping forward in what God called you to do, the kickback isn't even necessarily personal in the minds of broken people. You know, you know that hurt people hurt people? You know, listen, churches are full of hurt people. If you're a leader at Four Corners today, if you're one of our fivefold, or you're a small group leader, listen to me, listen to me. In one sense, a church is a hospital. It's okay. We, we wear that proudly. Jesus is the great physician. But good doctors don't ever look at the patients and say, would you affirm my value? Would you validate my call? Would you look at my diploma and tell me it's valid? Good leaders in churches, good small group leaders, don't simply look to the group to be affirmed. They get a call from God they stay focused, and they keep moving forward. And many sick people come and get better. Thank you, Jesus. And some people come sick and go home sick. It's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the beast, not just in church, in your family. 
You'll have honest conversations with people. You'll feel compelled to make an investment. And you'll be excited because you know that God's given you a heart of compassion and insight of truth. And you'll step forward and do the thing. And when you have the conversation, here's what won't happen. They won't go, oh, thank you. I just needed a little bit more information. And the compassion with which you spoke so moved my heart. I will now change. You are light to me. I've never had that happen. And I'm going to tell you, I've given wisdom to hundreds, and they never. Very often, here's what they do. Hmm, I'll think about it, which is in the Greek means you're a jerk. That's what happens. It's okay. Doctors don't look at patients and say, would you validate my degree? Called people don't look at sick people and say, would you validate my degree? Hurt people hurt people. But found people still find people. Nehemiah gets it. And so in Nehemiah chapter 4, very quickly he says, dealing with some of the challenges. I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. There's something about keeping your eyes on the I am. The Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then he says, when you remember the Lord, do this. And fight for your families and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Don't give in to the threats. Don't give in to people who don't get it. Don't give in to the, the petty difficulties that seem to distract so many. Press on. What has God put on your heart? Press on. What's in the way? Whatever's in the way is not worth you losing focus. The work you do is too great to come down to that level. My heart for every person in this room is that you would just get a glimpse of the great I am. And that somehow the, that glimpse would implant a seed in your life of living not just a, an existence, but a life of purpose and meaning. And I don't just mean in the most shallow definition of you enjoy your life. I hope you do. But that's not what I mean. I mean you live in your call. I want you, if you'll excuse the slogan hearing, I want you to experience real love now. That's why we have a church, so that people can step through the door. They can drink the living water, eat the bread that always nourishes, experience life, and not just to get into heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for that. If that were all, it's enough. But to live the life that God's called you to live here and now, and to move forward through the challenges. And not set your mind in one month and say, this is what I know God put on my heart. And three months later, if you look at where you spent your time and your energy and your money, it doesn't even look like that really was a thing God put on your heart. I'm thrilled when people stand up and say, I think God wants me to do something. We partner with them. We try to help them figure it out. Kind of come alongside and release and empower and encourage. And as long as it fits under the umbrella of what God's called this church to do, we try to just make it happen. I don't understand somebody that would say, 
God's put something on my heart. And two and three and four years passed. And very little, very little activities happened because there were some difficulties along the way. I get it. Listen, I'm not trying to be hard or put it on some performance level. I'm just saying that when the great I am speaks into your life, nothing else matters. The work you do is too great to come down. So if he's put on your heart that your marriage needs attention, by God, it needs attention. And if he's put on your heart in some moment of honesty that you aren't given the right attention and energy towards your kids, then by his power, give yourself to it. And if he's put on your life a sense of call that you know he blessed you to not just be for you, but to be a blessing, then get about your call. Come on. Come on. What are you waiting on? Somebody spoke bad about you. Oh, I'm sorry. You have a sand ballot in your life? Oh, look, they can't even build a wall right. And that distracts you? The work you do is too great to give in to that. The power of God is too great for you to succumb to that. It's greater than your habit. It's bigger than your debt. So if those are the chains, deal with them. When we pray in a moment, cast yourself humbly at the feet of Jesus and say, one more time I come, Lord, with nothing to offer. Would you take me and use me? Would you fill me with your spirit, blocking out every distraction? Fill me so full of you that everything else gets pushed to the side. See what he does. This is my heart. This is our staff's focus. We're trying to build a church because we want people to hear this message of life, of love, not just then, but now. And the eternal life with God begins now. And it lasts forever. All of heaven and all this too. And we think it's worth fighting for. Why don't you grab out your connect card? Let's take a few steps together. So I want to get very practical. Do you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you not walked through the door? You haven't drank the living water, the bread of life? If you haven't, it's very simple. One movement of your heart away. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. The way we say it is you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your forgiver and your leader. As an act of your faith, you can check a box. We'll send you information about that. But your relationship with Jesus can begin as simple as, God, I accept you. I'm a sinner. Would you lead my life? Would you become the Lord of my life? You're the Lord of the universe, but would you become Lord of my universe? You can say that. You can, when I get done praying, you can just say amen to what I said. And if your amen means, God, whatever Ben said, that's what I mean, you're done. I mean, there's no action you have to do. There's a receiving. If you want to do that, check the box. Next step, B. I want to get baptized. I want to go public with my faith. I'm not ashamed. I don't care who knows it. I'm not trying to please anybody else. This thing's about me and God. Get baptized. Go public with your faith. Now let's, let's hit some pay dirt, all right? Next step, C. Besides God, who do you need to ask for help? Why don't you make that, I just said a lunch appointment today. Do you need to see a counselor? What's stopping you? 
I mean, has it been a perpetual thing? Do you need to sit down with a church leader? What's stopping you? Do you need to sit down with a trusted friend and say, I have a habit I can't stop. I need accountability. Make that appointment today. I mean, today, send the email. The work you do is too great. Next step, D. It shows my heart. That's what God put on my heart, all right? Are you involved in a direct connect line to the activity of the work of God in the world through the local church? Are you involved in a local church? Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. I think every healthy believer is connected to a local church. That's what I believe. I think that's biblical. You'd be hard-pressed to argue that point with me. Listen, if we're not your church, go find one. If we hurt you, forgive us. Go find a local church and get your kids in church. Get your own butt in church. And then serve. And let God soften your heart. Let God soften your heart. Quit flirting around the edges with the identity of a victim. I was hurt. I was wounded. Of course you were. It's a hospital. Some people pick up infections. Of course. Did you think you were any different? Did you think that the spiritual struggle wouldn't touch you? The work you do is too great. Go find a church or plug in here. You want to do that? Check the box. Our staff will be on you. I mean, by Tuesday, you'll have an email asking for an appointment to move forward. And together, we'll stand together and say, this work is too great. The next step B. I, was, I had something different, but I felt God impressed me to put this in there. And I don't even know that it fully lines up, but here we go. Are you keeping an important vow you made as you felt God prompt you? You made a vow to God. Now, if not, I ask you to confess it today and begin the first step again. God, I promised you this months ago, years ago, weeks ago. And I, I haven't done much. But today, I want to move forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, the work you've called us to is too great to let sick people define reality. It's too great to let hurt people run unchecked, constantly hurting people. God, the call you put on us is that found people find people. Make us resolute. Give us that determination that Nehemiah had. Lord Jesus, for those that are taking their first steps to get to know you today, I pray that their heart would be turned towards you, that they would have the knowledge that they're a sinner and that you're Lord. They commit their lives to you. God, would you elevate in the middle of a broken world the importance of your work in this world and all of its implications? We pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. Amen.